So uh, you remember we talked about uh, Paolo Olympiakos game, game two, and the lineup they had, the closing lineup they had, yep. Olympiakos, because of all the uh, Zankov's injury, Walkup being uh, thrown out of the game, Kanan uh, not being played for, for the series, and Slukas uh, out, yeah. out as well. So, and, I, and I after the pod, I went to, to some data, and uh, I found out that before that game, that lineup, that closing lineup of Lorenzakis, Makisic, Papu Nikolaou, Peters, and Fall have not played a single minute in 76 games for Olympia cause this season. And I tweeted this saying that, you know, out for various reasons, this was the closing lineup and they had played zero minutes in 76 games. This was, this was a simple tweet and that they were minus five in the, in the seven minutes of, of game. And uh, first there was some, you know, Olympiacos fans, you know, saying, oh, this is an interesting. And then somehow this got to power fans and they were like, uh, some of them were like, oh yeah, but we don't have Dwayne Bacon, Andrew Andrews, Matt Thomas, and uh, um, someone else, uh, four guys, another four guys. And I was like, how does, th is this- um, Walters? And Walters, yeah, yeah. exactly. And how is uh, talking about Dwayne Bacon and uh, Andrew Andrews uh, is the same when I'm, when I'm saying, you know, that Lucas is Vizenkov probably are going to come back, even though I did not mention this. But you know, this was an interesting fact, yeah. and I was like, I'm go I'm going to tweet it. And obviously, the thought process behind this was that you know Olympia cause should not be worried after a game two loss because you know this is what they had to deal with, even though Powell played a great game there. And uh, I was like, yeah, and I, I responded. So is Dwayne Bacon coming back for game three and Andrew Andrews are coming back for games three and four because Kostas Lukas and Sasha Vizenkov probably are going to come back. So this was, uh, I think, a uh, funny, you know, interaction. And what what, what I had, was I had the follow-up discussion? Uh, there, there was no, there was no. I just, it, it, I just got a few people uh, mocking my last name or whatever okay. that was. <laughs> and, uh, you know, then saying that, you know, more than a few people writing that uh, power are without four players, even though mm. two players are already away from the team for so long. So, and, and basically what we saw was, you know, that with Walkup, Vizenkov and Slukas back, it was a plus, plus 20 game for, for Olympiakos and they were dominant more, more or less the whole game. And, uh, Although they kept the distance uh, for a long period of the game, they kept the distance. I mean, they didn't uh, let their hands down. They tried to stay close, at least for the first three quarters. Yeah. But, you know, this whole discussion on Twitter, you cannot call it a discussion. It's like it's a, not, no, no. defending some regular casual tweet from people who take it personal for some reasons and try to defend their team and try to offend you. But it's just a reminder this this tweet was one of the examples, one of the reminders that everyone is not just so sensitive, but it feels like everybody is just too tired from basketball. Look at what's happening in, in Italy. Look at what's happening mm. in, in Turkey uh, with the uh, post-game celebration and again, altercation between Ataman and it turns out there were Fenerbahce management people involved. Uh, a lot of, a lot of, you know, uh, I, tensious I, situations out there. I wouldn't say it's tired being tired from basketball. I would say this is just people being uh, tense 
super tense because they're and, tired and, and trying physically and mentally. You, but two you, facts, you, two fun facts. But maybe not from basketball, maybe from other things in their lives. Because what I saw yesterday uh, in Italy was not people being tired from basketball. It was just people mad uh, at at basketball players and just lashing out the I don't know the whatever inner sadness or whatever you can call it or inner anger and then lashing out on on the on the players and even more but the way the players respond, responded it also shows true. the fatigue of everything what surrounds basketball it's not about just about the basketball i just the, but, the whole atmosphere you mean uh, in, the, in the basketball world in the I basketball mean, world in the basketball team court. that in the middle of june you still have to play in the domestic league finals i mean you mentioned this fact about the lineup and you said in 76 games this lineup having haven't logged a single minute 76 games in european basketball with all these tensions with all these emotions with all this pressure coming from everywhere ownership uh, head coach uh, fans media everything we can compare we can actually already you know compare the schedule of european basketball with the nba but what nba doesn't have that kind of amount of pressure and all the things that come together with the uh, regular season or just the, the length of the season. It's just crazy. I have this fact that the Spanish league season has started three weeks prior to the start of the NBA season and they still haven't started the ACB finals. It's just mm. stupid, really. The NBA will finish this week. Yeah, exactly. And the NBA might finish tonight, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so it's, it's just stupid and it's not just about the injuries, the length of the season. It's just about being mentally drained from all the other things that's you know includes being a basketball player so it's it's but tough but and then they, they're gonna have national team competition again with these huge expectations and you know training camp crazy head coaches pressure again it's but you know you're talking more you're talking more about the players i'm talking more about the atmosphere around the game like the people mm. that are following basketball the fans that go to the gym because it doesn't look nice what happened in in nope. in, in, in Milano, but but the first you know the one the guy who starts it is the fan yeah. who pushes touches or whatever that was Milos Teodosic. Without that, nothing happens. Yeah. Virtus players just go to the mm. locker room just like they always do, and everybody is just talking about a basketball game and Milano winning game two and. In a really close competition, and what what happened what happens after that is you know the, just the consequence of of that push by a, by a person who thought, hey, it's okay uh, to touch an opposing player uh, while he's going to the tunnel. Like mm. I paid for the ticket, I can shout the whole game, but I can also touch and and shove a you know a player. Why would you want to do that? You won. You shouldn't be tired or sad or have this anger and have the necessity to yeah, touch no. an opposing player. That's that's the anger I'm talking about more from the you know mm. people that come to watch games because you 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 are not allowed to do that. You know you could you can just be have fun, clap for your team, boo the other team, and and I, and then that's I, it. Again, when I think about the bigger picture, give me another example. What's similar? To be a basketball fan, to to be in a basketball uh, game situation where you come to the event, you curse the players, you you know show the middle finger, you touch the player, you know suddenly this two-hour event become becomes something 
where you're not getting sanctioned for you know bad things you're doing and it feels like in the basketball game i mean i'm gonna repeat myself for the like 100 times you can start throwing things on the court you can you know verbally or even physically attack the players i cannot see any other similar event as a basketball or football a football game uh let's say where you know being undisciplined being violent or being just rude uh is kind of accepted or at least not punished i don't know any it, it becomes it becomes a, a sporting event of basketball and football because we you don't see this in tennis for example a basketball or football game kind of becomes an event a platform to lash out your anger that you have exactly anger not just not emotions emotions is a bad word anger and people have different kind of anger you know because of their personal reasons work yeah. family something going on you know and they just lash it out in, in a basketball event which is bad unacceptable and uh, do do we have anything to and add it's not in just, that situation not just this situation i mean uh Jonathan Motley responded to a fan who blamed him for putting a story with a glass of wine after losing the semifinals against uh, FS, saying that... Uh, no, after winning game one. Oh, after ge winning game one. Oh, okay, okay. I think it was the story posted after winning game one uh -huh. and after they lost. Uh, I think that fan posted a story, said that, you know... If As you, if one glass if of you wine... Cared, yeah. If you cared more, something like that. I'm not, sh I'm not sure, but I think it was like this. It went like this. But it's just, uh, yeah. There was know. also a know. tweet by Will Clyburn. There was a very interesting tweet uh, where he was uh, saying, "Fans really be saying crazy as disrespectful shit to players, but then want to call you disrespectful and classless. That's wild." Uh, he had his moments with uh, Fenerbahce fans as well. Uh, so yeah, it's it's very nervous time of the season, but. True. Yeah, just to come back to this uh, altercation or whatever it happened here in Milan, I blame the fan. I think that the fan should be banned to enter Mediolanum Forum for life. Again, uh, the same happened in Lithuania with one fan spilling some beer on on Margaris Norman, the status player. That should be like a life sentence for you to attend the basketball game. If you cannot control yourself, if you act like as a pig, it, the basketball game is not a farm. Uh, the basketball gym is not a farm. You shouldn't be allowed to come here mm. and you know to let yourself to do things like that. So the same here. You cannot touch the player. That's the rule number one. You'll, I mean, tons of people already, you know, showing middle fingers, cursing the players, and and then you're even touching, you know, starting this altercation. That's stupid. Then that's dangerous. At the same time, I also think that Milos Teodosic and Daniel Hackett has to take full responsibility and full blame for what he did because I think it was out of proportions because you're not just kind of attacking uh let's say bad basketball fan rude basketball fan there was women close to that guy there was Kevin Pango's family wife with a small baby you know in in her hands close and when they start doing this pushing thing you know all the women were just like you know falling well, down so i don't know I, what from what it's i saw dangerous, I, man. Might, I might be wrong but but pangos's wife actually tried going near the player and then saying something to him it it it, it happened sure. later but when it all started i mean again there were like three women uh close to that situation and i saw that a couple of them you know kind of fall down 
let's say they were involved in a bad way, you know, from mm. the, these uh, consequences of what happened later. So, I mean, I know you're mad. I know that this fan crossed his line and you're protecting your teammate or you're protecting yourself or you're just responding to the guy who was acting rude with you. Uh, but at the same time, it's not only about you and that guy. There were, you know, people around involved. So you have to be more careful and you have to, you know, come out as a winner and smarter from that situation. So I understand their anger, but, you know, you should control yourself better. There are, let's say, there are no saints in this situation, but, you know, the whole thing got started by that by that guy shoving, shoving the player. So, again, you can, you can understand the response by Hackett. And Teodosic uh, would love to have more security to not even... Yeah, that's like true. to not even allow this situation to happen, mm -hmm. to not be able to touch the player because it, it was it was actually so easy to do. So mm -hmm. that that's I why it, that that's why it was so tempting. Probably it was the single area when can actually you know um, exactly approach you or even touch you, and I didn't see any security exactly. on that specific uh, corner and spot. Mm -hmm. um, talking about the game, Olympia Virtus. Yeah. Um, just some things I wanted to notice. Uh, a dogfight, you know, both teams. Both teams can defend. Both teams can have players um, that can, you know, re really aggressively play some defense. Bologna really started the game nicely with Shengelia and Jaite, you know, scoring, uh, let's say, from the paint. Um Milano obviously basing their offense on on the weak links, you know, trying to attack through Bellinelli, involving Teodosic as much as much as they can. Uh, Virtus more or less doing the same thing, you know, trying to attack Napier uh, through the post with by Payola playing with with the back to the basket. Daniel Hackett doing the same, you know. I think he finished the game with eight assists. Four points. I think it's a big question going uh, forward in the series. Can he make the open shots uh, Milano are giving? Uh, but the oh, it's so nice to see Shavon Shields, uh, yeah. you know, in 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 shape, back again, healthy. He's a game changer for Milano. But um, that five of uh, Napier, Baron Shields, Voitman. And Melly, or yeah, because probably Melly is playing more like a center in that starting line in that in that lineup. I think is illegal when they're all healthy, and uh, it has everything you can ask from my point of view offensively. Let's say you have a you have ball handling from Napier. Uh, Baron can also do that. You have a movement shooter. Baron can make set plays for him. You have two ISO players in Shields and and Napier. Uh, even you can call maybe two and a half. Baron can sometimes, you know. Yeah, we saw him when these two were not healthy. We saw Baron uh, maybe in December. It was a great run from him when he was a lot with his uh, with the ball in his hands. And then you have front court players who can who can you know if the opposing team switch, they can punish you. You know, Melly can sometimes play through the post through the post against a smaller guy. Voitman is just has great size, so if you put a point guard against him, he can you know score from there, even though he doesn't want really to do that. And you know, so you can run actions depending who is a weak link because you have so much options here. So 
For example, I saw uh, Daniel Hackett defending Baron uh, or Daniel Hackett or defending uh, defending Napier. So you run the action through Baron. You know, Hackett goes on Baron, you play through Napier. Or Teodosic is because on, usually Teodosic is on, yeah. on somebody. You know, or there is also Bellinelli. You know, step, mm -hmm. he, Bellinelli steps on the court. You play through Shavon Shields because maybe you run through the screens or whatever. They might they might try to hide Teodosic. You go you you run the action through him. So it's just amazing um, balance in the offense with this five so many options. And then I went to do to, to look at some data and. This is actually their most used lineup this season. Okay. And at the same time, it's the best lineup uh, as well. And uh, according to Instat, they, they are plus 70 in 147 minutes together. And uh, in this series, it's also, I mean, it's only two games, two games but it, they are plus 12 with this lineup. But, but and you said uh, that this is the most used lineup this season with Napier on it? Yeah. When Shabazz Napier joined mm, Milan uh, at the end of January, it tells a lot about the season they had. The guy who joined the team at the end of yeah. January is on the most used lineup. Wow, that's huge. And uh, they're scoring 1.12 points per possession, and uh, they are allowing 0.97. So that's a kind of a big difference, and uh, it's just so fun to watch on, on the offense. Like there was one possession, I think, I think in the fourth quarter, if I'm not mistaken, where it's just Napier creating the advantage to Melly on the short roll. And then Melly is like looking at the options, other options, because the defense rotates. Boom, a kick, a kick out to Voigtman, who is standing on a three-point line, extra pass, extra pass, and Napier is just finds the ball back to himself, completely wide open shot. Amazingly, like if this lineup was available for the whole season, which we might see, in the next year, yeah, it's just so fun to watch on offense, especially. Yeah, that's that's the main thing because they're trying to keep Shabazz Napier. Of course, of course, Shields is also on an expiring contract, but Milan will try to do everything to keep him as well. Billy Barron is set to continue. Uh, you, you mentioned Foytman and Nicola Mel, and this is interesting thing which I already told you before the podcast. Mm. Uh, so they're finalizing a contract with Ismail Kamagata, which is a surprising deal. Uh, happening because uh, first of all, I didn't see him, you know, going to that level so fast. Uh, at first, the idea was him joining Alba, which makes perfect sense. Let's say Komaji is leaving, Kamagate is coming, Kamagate uh, is still Komaji's leaving. Uh, yeah, uh, it, it sounds like that. Uh, like that, and you know, it feels like it's a great replacement. It's a very young guy who still needs a lot of playing time. Uh, who needs responsibility at the highest level, trust from the coaching staff, a lot of minutes, uh, experience, and, you know, it's a great move both for Kamagata and Nuggets because they were not, since they're about to win the championship probably, and since they're title competitors, it's not like they have flexibility to play guys like Kamagata uh, in the NBA. Uh, they're looking for some instant help uh, to win the title. So it was not like Kamagate was in their plans for the following year. So Alba Berlin, coming from Paris basketball, Alba Berlin getting huge minutes in the EuroLeague, it sounds like a perfect plan. And then Milan comes from nowhere and it, it, it looks weird. So who is replacing? And my first idea was, is Kyle Hines ret retiring? Because, you know, Kamagate is also that hustle guy, rebounder, roller, uh, which, you know, 
can can add some help uh, in the paint. There's Kyle Hines and uh, no, probably for Paul Beliga. But Beliga is a local player, so I thought I that I mean Beliga's uh, his his role on team was probably to help them in the domestic league. And Kamagat True. is a foreigner, so how are they gonna play out this situation with imports? Y you know, they started the season, I think, with Moitman um, designed to play the the five position, the mm -hmm. center. But you know, for quite some time now, he's playing at the four. You know, you always see him with uh, Melly or Heinz uh, in the same yeah. in the same five, and he's playing more the four position in offense. And uh, so that's why I think, you know, they're keeping uh, Heinz. They, they will have Kamagata as well, and they will play yeah. Meli. And from what I the hear, five. they want to play, they like to play Meli at the five. So they have this lineup of this uh, three, let's say, centers. There's Foytman as well. And I heard that they're looking for a, a big man power forward i wouldn't be surprised if that's the guy who can also play uh, multiple positions as a lot of uh, players on messina's uh, squad so i just had this question you know what type of big man and frontline addition do you see uh, working out you know the best as the best fit uh, for milan knowing their ambitions their goals and what would be the perfect uh, fit uh, you know on, on messina's lineups you know maybe i wouldn't try to bring uh, mm, it's actually an interesting question. Like, who do you go more with more of a center? Or because, you know, Kyle Heinz is not getting any younger. You see him probably playing less and less each year. So do you go with a center more of a, who can maybe score by himself? Because neither Heinz nor Kamagare yeah. can do that. By, and Davis by is leaving. So, so yeah, there's this gap yeah, scoring. I, the post. I, I thought, you know, Davis is already. Yeah, basically Messina mentioned that he's not going to be there. He's not going to continue by by saying that you are excluded from the team. Yeah, for, for the and just in general, I mean, he's on the market and he's so sure leaving Milan. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't like look for a big, for a high caliber player because knowing the rotation depth in Milan, maybe a player who is used to playing 25, 30 minutes wouldn't be happy if his playing time is reduced. Maybe that wouldn't boost his confidence. So, so I would go for a lower profile guy, but who could, who can do uh some things at a really high level maybe you know a post a post scorer who could give you some nice periods in offense uh this is what they lacked mm -hmm. i think the, this um this season when when some of the perimeter guys were out with injuries so i'm e either a four or either a five a five, five position mm -hmm. guy but who can maybe you know score from the post mm -hmm. but not not you know that the, the high profile name okay because you are already or somebody who, who is at that stage of his career who can sacrifice his minutes exactly to win titles mm. just like for example mario hezonia did uh when they won the title he he told me that i joined this club for a reason i was ready you know to sacrifice my role but i i understood that this is a group of winners and i'll have to do some different things you know to help to help the team win so at some point these players they understand what they need the most some want some great paychecks someone enjoy basketball playing freely a lot of minutes some just want to win titles uh everyone has their own priorities so so it depends on at what kind of stage the potential addition could be but that's interesting the thing you mentioned because i cannot uh, mention names yet it's it's 
too early or it's something that we are as a basketball uh, basket news teams are working on uh, for a report but I've actually heard a couple of names that fit very different profile of players that uh, could you know uh, benefit it's f funny that you mentioned that I'm not sure if I would add a F5 or a center you know although like, you would you wish or you would like to have the power for more right but I mean, I, I, I heard mean, even not sure. I would probably think of you know what, what's on the market, the names we are you know we have the budget for to get, and then just try to imagine the big picture and and see what happens because right now with what Milano have in their front line, there's just so much versatility that and different lineups you can throw that you basically just go with what fits best your team or what potential lineups you can think of with this. You know, fifth player in the, in the front court, fifth or sixth, whatever whatever that is, because they they still have some more guys. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they go post score. For instance, there's or, exactly or a shooter uh, as you know, he's a free agent. One of the names that would fit that profile, I guess. Mm. But uh, from what I heard, there are different players that could join Milan. So it's going to be interesting to see, and they are very different, as I mentioned, centered as a, and a power forward one power forward that i would say fits your profile that you mentioned and that i think that would be a great addition but a lot of things have to be sorted out before it can happen so it's gonna be interesting what they're gonna do uh my two cents what i think about the series uh i i watched just the last five minutes of of the game too uh mm -hmm. because there's a lot of stuff happening during the weekend we also mm -hmm. had amazing lkl uh, finals game five with one of the probably the best game fives I've seen in in Lithuania. Uh, you know, two minutes to play and you you don't know who, who are going to win the game. There's the MVP scoring 32 points. A lot of a lot of was happening there. So Isaiah Taylor, shout out to him Taylor for the Taylor. performance Man. in this series. It's going to be interesting to see where he's yep. going next because he finished the season really strong. Um, Over 20 points. And the last four games of the final series, that's huge. Even in Lithuania, I, you can rarely see numbers that he provided. And he was unguardable one-on-one. -on -one. So, yeah. so, yeah, a lot of stuff uh, happened. And I just saw the very end of the game. And, you know, Virtus made this great comeback at the end of the game. But you can you can blame n nobody else than yourself when you score, like, Two free throws from two. For you, when you're two from six from free throw line, I think that Shangelia missed like three from four or something, and it was the moment where they can actually took the lead. They made some great defensive styles, but couldn't convert from the free throw line. Uh, and yeah, as I mentioned, I mean, it's great to see you know Shaman Shields, Shaman Shields back. Uh, he was huge with this three pointer to to give them the lead. Man, I didn't understand why Semi Ojale uh, went under that mm. uh, off ball screen. Mm -hmm. It was such an easy, like it seemed such. such it wasn't even like uh -huh. an action trying to get him a score immediately. Like it was supposed to be a continuation to something else. But Sean Shields get this open. He jumps on that shot fake and then it's like spins away that do a 360 on defense that's never a good thing and then Shawan Shields just hits that free yeah. I was like okay okay and I just like how Shawan Shields he kind of reminds me of Luka Doncic because he's not an athletic freak he's not the fastest guy on the court but the way he manages to involve 
his defender in his own zone and his own pace where he creates those advantages whether it's on a perimeter or inside the paint that's that's huge and it's just great to see shawan shields healthy and doing mm. his thing so he, he he's gonna be a huge a very important player for for milan following year if they're gonna find the agreement which i think that they mm. will uh, Do we talk about Olympiacos and power a little more? Yeah, yeah the, the most anticipated series among our fans, for sure. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, the game wasn't as exciting as it was before. The, first, the first two games. Two games. Yeah, first yeah. two games were And there's probably really interesting. a very simple explanation for that. Not just because Olympiacos is a better f- team in general, but when you watch Panthinaikos, uh, I mean... If they're not making shots and they're really limited at making shots from the perimeter, they're basically done. Because inside the paint, you always face Mustafa Fall or I know Bolomboy. They usually Olympiacos defense, they pack the paint and it's really hard to score out there. And as a Lithuanian, I really feel bad for Arturas Gudaitis for, for the work he has to on, to do on both ends of the floor. It's it's really tough to play Olympiacos. And especially when you know they had they had so many situations late late clock situations where they just had to make those contested three pointers that it's either you make those shots or you are done because they can probably create only from transition from pick and roll sometimes you know uh, throwing these lobs for papayanes but with the you know primary scorers your first options as Marius Grigonis or Mateusz Ponitka, you're just re- really limited. And although we uh, we, are, we are not the fans of Dwayne Bacon, right? Not just, not his, um, I'm not talking about his skill, uh, but we're talking about his you know, body language or the way he used his skill. But he would probably add a lot to this Panthinaikos uh, squad uh, facing Olympiakos in the finals because there were just these situations where they couldn't score at all. And that's that's I think that's huge. I mean, uh, in game one, there are these stats. Uh, their three-point shooting percentage uh, in game one was twenty-five percent. In game three, twenty-two percent. And the game they won, game two, they scored from the three by forty percent. So again. If they're making some lucky shots, if they're making some tough shots as Mateusz Ponitka hit that step back, they have a chance. If not, when those guys are healthy, especially when Vazenkov is making off-board shots or Dirk Nowitzki shots, mm. when Slukas is playing his own zone as well, it's it's just impossible for, uh, for them to beat Olympiakos because they're just, you know, better. And that's it. I agree with you that they are better. I mean, probably even Panathinaikos fans can, can see that, that Olympiakos are just way better this season um but uh, i wouldn't agree that bacon would yeah bacon would add a lot in offense but i would i'm way more loving how is playing defense right now i then i, I, love, than I would love to have bacon only for these late clock situations not for everything yeah, around yeah, or prior or after but you can't yes yeah. it's, it's, <laughs> it doesn't work that way you know um but yeah uh Power basically won game two because they were able to ignite their offense by playing great defense. I think they had a lot of steals in that game, a lot of easy transition layups. Yeah, that's the uh, way. Yeah. That that was it was a low scoring game, so they were mad, they were able to do it. In this game, you know, 
You have Mustafa following the paint. You have Paris Lee, Maris Gugon is trying to create in those pick and rolls. And they were not having, you know, Paris Lee had a in the beginning, good he was game. Good. Yeah. Um, he played eight times the pick and roll and he played more times pick and roll, but he finished with his shots eight times the pick and roll and he scored 11 points. That's 1.38 points per points per pick and roll when he is shooting. So that's a great Excellent. number. Myris Grigonis, as a pick and roll ball handler, played four times and finished it with, with his own shot. Zero points on four tries. Uh, you know, plus one time uh, he missed a shot in an off-screen situation, and one time he missed uh, on the on the on the shot when he was uh, beat the closeout and and drove. Uh, so that's six situations where he is, you know, driving the ball, dribbling the ball, and then finishing by shooting. And he was zero from six. He scored, I think, eleven, uh, five points in transition, and six points on catch and shoot opportunities. So transition or catch and shoot, zero points on six tries when he is a ball handler. And, you know, he just couldn't deal with Thomas Walkup. Uh, he just he couldn't deal with, you know, Mustafa Fall being there in the paint. Um, Grigonis as a, ball, as a ball handler in this series is averaging 0 0.46 points per possession. That's terrible uh, because usually you're looking, you know, at 0 0.9 pick and roll ball handling 0.91 point and uh Paris Lee was good in game three but he is 0.78 as a ball handler so that just tells you how it is difficult to score against you know pick and roll where Mustafa Fall is defending the paint and Thomas Walkup or mm -hmm. Mikalis Lunzis who was great on defense uh in this game and and, uh, and also gave some gave some points on offense so it's really hard to score and 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 you know as we said in the in the podcast before, you know, you Panathinaikos need a first scoring option, yeah, uh, to find <laughs> even for, first for, or for, second scoring option for the, for the next season. And uh, but just I wanted to shout out, you know, Lunces for, for oh yeah for his defense. I think Walkup and Lunces uh, in the same uh, five are unfair on the defensive side. They just it is just a headache to play against uh, those two everywhere on. Close on every handoff situation, you know, trying to poke the ball, and that's why you know Grigonis and and um, Bonitka or Paris Lee are ha have to really try hard to score against those two. Yeah, anything to add about that game? I think there was less drama than the previous games. <laughs> yeah, because it was no uh, yogurt attacks. Although I think, yeah, I think I've read somewhere that there were actually some kind of attacks i just don't remember in what you know form i'm not sure it was interesting to see as well you know with the new coach you know how derek williams role has changed and it has reduced no he i think he stepped into the game in the middle of the second quarter then mm -hmm. he started the second half but you know he's not playing as much he's and he doesn't feel good in that role he, you can obviously see it He's not involved in the offense as much as he was. You know, he, do you remember him having those two crazy free quarters, third quarters yeah. in the EuroLeague? 20 straight point games. Something like that when, when he was just basically scoring by himself. He, you know, he's running around without the ball and, you know, it makes you wonder why, why does that happen? You know, what changed, you know, or, or, 
maybe just the coaches are so different, you know, and they prefer him being used different, but it's just, it's just, um, you know, interesting to see and try to understand why, why, why is that happening? And, uh, Olympiakos in my eyes basically won the game with a 16 to two run in the second quarter. Slukas doing his job once again, and just on that pick and roll, creating everything. Uh, Larenzakis, I think had two scores from nothing. Uh, one, he got an offensive rebound after his missed shot. The other, he scored from a baseline out of bounds play. McKissick had a dunk on a post up for Mustafa Fall. And and that's it. Oh, and Mustafa Fall finally missed a shot in the series. He was 10 for 10 okay. in the first two games. And he was actually averaging... He was tied for the first place in assists per game average. Nice. He was having 4.5 assists in the first two games. And Thomas Walkup had the same. So you can imagine the impact he is having on this series. My spicy highlight of the game was uh, Agravanis showing too small <laughs> after he scored on Alec Peters, I think. Of course, it was a t tough layup because I think that uh, he got some, you know, aggressive defense. Maybe it was Papa, Papa Nikolaou, I don't remember. Then I think that he spinned, he faced Peters. It was a tough layup. But Panhaikos, they were like down by 11 in the third quarter, I guess. And you were showing too small. I mean, I mean... No, these too small are getting out of hand. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You should, you know, you should save th these like two small situations for important... I don't know, shots, game-winning situations. So they mean more? Crunch time. At the same time, it's good that players express themselves, you know? Yeah, I, I love I those love, antics. I love the trash talk. That's great. That just adds some passion, spiciness to, to the game, but the timing, it could be different, probably. Yeah. More more of that, maybe, yeah, maybe the when the game is closer. But, yeah, I, but like the, I like the mentality. I like the, yeah. I like the trash talking, so Gravanis is a keep bowler. doing that. Keep yeah, doing Gravanis <laughs> is an interesting guy to watch. Keep doing that. That's for sure. Um, uh, French League? French League uh, finals. We decided to give some attention uh, to, 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 to put French League finals in the spotlight because, of course, there's Vembanyama, uh, the, the next uh, first pick of the NBA draft. Oh, you, you could just say there's your team Monaco playing there. <laughs> uh, not at all, not at all. Uh, and uh, we you should know. maybe put more highlight on the semifinal that he won because the game one was, mm. you know, that's because fifty two twenty one, the score was at at one point I think. Uh, they entered the halftime with Monaco being up by thirty one point fifty two twenty uh, twenty one, and I think that for Vembanyama, it's the worst matchup that he can ever face in European basketball. I'm talking about John Brown because he's such a pain in the ass. And, uh, you know, since we also spoke about it on on our, you know, uh, way to, to the kill finals. I mean, since Vembanyama cannot post, uh, John Brown, although he's like, you know, he can be exposed on the low post in the EuroLeague by some bigger uh, post-up players, he's a perfect matchup to defend Vembanyama because he can get under your skin. He can chase you to, to throughout the whole game for 40 minutes. 
He's always, you know, involving these dirty plays in his game. He always grabbing you, elbowing you, uh, you know, grabbing your jersey. It does everything to to put yourself out of the game. He even box you out when you know the ball is on a different place uh, uh, on the court. And you could see that Vembanyama felt really uncomfortable uh, playing Monaco's defense. Uh, and I remember even Rokas Jakubaita saying, I think it was that game and. John Brown made seven steals, maybe, uh, the last mm. season. It, it feels like John Brown is everywhere on the court. Even when you're facing a different player in the pick and roll, it feels like there's this ghost of John Brown everywhere. And I feel that Vembanyama also had this, you know, migraine from, from John Brown uh, experience. Uh, because Vembanyama, first of all, he scored eight points on... Three of eight. Uh, three of eight shooting. Three of eight shooting. Uh, he tied his uh, season low uh, with these eight points. And what's interesting that the previous season low, eight points, was also against Monaco. Uh, the the only single-digit games that he had in the French League. Uh, seven rebounds, also pretty low number for Vembanyama, and especially the numbers he was delivering uh, recently. Uh, and he, the four points he scored until the fourth quarter came from two free throws and one off-board mid-range jumper, which was over Makundu. And I think that Vembanyava didn't score a single point when John Brown was on the court. So mm. that's why it's the worst matchup for Vembanyama, and that's why it's the best matchup for Sasha Bradovich, because you have Mike James. And after he finished his EuroLeague season, I had some arguable doubts about his commitment in the French League <laughs> playoffs. But when you face Vambanyama, when you face Metropolitans, the final series, they're on NBA app. So KD is watching, your friends are watching, you know, Americans might tune in and watch that game. And what kind of Mike James we see in the finals? He was amazing in the first quarter. Either he was scoring some really tough shots or he was really creating some amazing situations for his uh, teammates. Some really good passing, some... Especially when you're drawing, like, and at mm. some point I saw that all five defenders were concentrating on stopping uh, Mike James when he was penetrating. And he was kicking the ball out so great and, and putting his teammates on such a great situations that he played really good game. It was like maybe 12 points, nothing special for Mike uh, scoring-wise, but eight assists and 22 minutes per game. It was awesome, and I, I expect that kind of Mike James for the entire series. You know, 12 plus 8 is a solid line, considering the game was a blowout since the halftime. Yeah. You know, nobody, I saw nobody played big minutes yeah. uh, in Monaco. Uh, I don't really see this series being uh, a, long, a long series. Competitive, to me, uh, maybe it's just one game, maybe... It's a bit too early to overreact. But, yeah, yeah. But that's I, for sure. I, I will say, I will say this way. I think it just shows the disparity French league has between Monaco and all the other teams, especially with as well this season. Uh, you know, completely, you know, being wrong with their, um, let's say, team building with their choices, how they went. I mean, it, it it wasn't wrong. It was just that last season they had Elio Kobo and Chris Jones. And, uh, you know, so they were really carrying the load. And this year they did not manage to replace them with as great players as those two were. Plus, uh, you know, 
when Banyama leaving as well, going to Metropolitans, plus, you know, them signing Joffrey Lewerin, who gets injured immediately and misses all the season. So with as well uh, in such a weak spot, let's say for this season, there is basically no one who can, no team who can match Monaco in my mm. eyes in a, in the series. I don't think that's possible. So the, the really the gap is is huge. Uh, yeah, Metropolitans were a really, really great regular season team, but I just don't see them in a series where Monaco are concentrated, focused on on the on winning the French league title. I just don't see them having any chance. I mean, Metropolitans had it, you know, especially when Banyama did not, he they won, yeah, but they did, he did not really have an amazing series against us well. It was okay. Uh, you know, Charles Cahudi was his uh, matchup. He's a similar guy to John Brown. You know, even an undersized power forward, maybe 20 plus centimeters smaller than Ben Banyama, but just tough physical and when Banyama was playing like a no dribble basketball because just of of the strength and um, um, let's say point of uh, point of weight being so much lower of Kahudi mm -hmm. so he can just he cannot really be in balance when Kahudi is giving him you know all that pressure and uh, he he showed obviously his talent his his potential his upside but uh, even against switches, even against uh, Obasohan or, or Jonah Matthews, he wasn't able to post them up and he was trying to shoot, you know, fadeaway shots because he still lacks strength and that's normal because he's a guy who's only 19 years old. But against the EuroLeague team, it's, it's a huge uh, disadvantage to have. Yeah, and I, I liked uh, the, you know, the mentality of Monaco, they looked like they were playing, uh, I wouldn't call it a playoff game because there were two different faces even in the playoff series against Maccabi, but it looked like they were very serious for the reasons I also uh, mentioned, even for John Brown, it's a great challenge for him, you know, he also knows that everybody watches him. Come on, and like, you're playing like, the first uh, draft pick, so for sure he's gonna tell these stories to his, you know, kids and, you know. Um, imagine. Imagine Ven Banyama goes on to have an amazing NBA career, maybe maybe becoming an MVP of the league. Like we don't know it yet. I'm not saying that's going to happen, mm. but he has the potential. Mm. You know, all this hype is maybe a little bit over over the top. Um, but he is a unique prospect uh that's coming out and, and going to the NBA right now. So Imagine for, for Monaco players as well, you might yeah. be facing a guy who will be an NBA superstar and now you have a chance to beat him in the in the French yeah. League Finals. So so that's why Sasha uh, Brodovic's job is a bit easier in this final series because it's really hard to keep your team focused in the middle of uh, of June. And, but the, the, the last point I wanted to tell you that, I mean, we saw EuroLeague Monaco and we saw very average Metropolitans. It felt like they were not ready and for sure we can expect for a reaction uh, on Monday night. Uh, actually, they're playing very soon. And I'm just curious to see how Vembanyama gonna react to the situation. For sure he gonna adjust, for sure he gonna take this lesson from his first experience against John Brown and it will be interesting to see how he gonna try to, you know, uh, face this adversity of John Brown and, and uh, mm. the physicality of, of Monaco. I don't expect any surprises, but I just believe that the game two will be way closer than this one. I mean, it's hard to expect, you know, again, 30-point lead by Monaco after two quarters. Mm -hmm. um, 
even even though they are much stronger, but I just think Metropolitans are going to give a bigger fight to them yeah. than than in game one. And uh, it will be interesting to see how they try to use Ben Banyamo, you know, how Vincent Collet maybe is going to adjust a little bit because you can see that with the ball, when he gets the ball in an ISO situation, whether that's a post-up, whether that's an ISO on the perimeter, it's it's really hard for him. It was really hard for him already in the semifinals. Mm. So maybe try to use him more in off-ball situations mm -hmm. where he gets just catch the ball and shoot. Yeah. Um, you obviously try to go in the transition as much as possible, but you need to first get, get some stops that they were not getting in the first half so let's see let's see what happens uh and the last domestic league uh event that we want to discuss is uh, Fenerbahce uh losing to FS FS advanced to the semifinals after winning the series in 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 four games uh we kind of expected that Fenerbahce are gonna force the game five they didn't <laughs> it feels like it there's the, I, I have this feeling and maybe it's the recency bias because we saw a couple of uh, late game situations where FS won against Fenerbahce. We probably all remember this game, uh, playoff series Fenerbahce Olympiakos, uh, Kostas uh, Slukas uh, game winner. We all remember the last game of the regular season against Red Star uh, where Fenerbahce almost you know blew blew up the <laughs> playoff uh, spot, and it feels like they were so unlucky. Uh, at late clock, uh, at late game situations, because even in this game four, even though Meli Momotoglu was really hot in that game, he scored some big uh, three pointers. For me, it's really weird to see him as the first option offensively, trying to score after dribble with like 90 seconds to play. And let's say Fenerbahce, they were down by three points. So the two sequences, the two possessions they had ended up with Momotoglu taking a difficult contested shot after the dribble when Wilbekin or Gudrich was on the court, uh, you know, doing nothing. And basically, it, it's not like it was a late clock situation. There were like 10, 11, 12 seconds uh, to play in that possession. And the following possession was where Marco Gudrich tried to play in a, a pick and roll with Jonathan Motley and he just sent the ball out of bounds. It was very unlucky, very, uh, I would say, uh, sluggish uh, pick and roll situation. So that's how they kind of their chances to try to beat FS were decided in these two late late uh, game situations with very poor uh, execution. So he made some crazy shots before. J just to say, I did not watch mm. the game. I'm just looking at Mama Toglu yeah. uh, clips from the fourth quarter because all of his shots apparently came in the in the fourth quarter, and he hit those three three pointers really tough. And that's to, what to he's able of doing you know hitting crazy three-pointers but again to see him scoring trying to score after dribble i know i want some better okay situations i just, I just saw the the drive against will clyburn yeah and so you uh, know what, what i mean I, I can understand you know them trying to play uh and he misses one more spot up against will but th this is like with 25 seconds remaining i can understand them trying to play you know he's made three three-pointers and then you hot, yeah. You know, you play through the hot hand, but uh, obviously, if you don't have a shot, you can probably flow into a continuation. But I guess Melly just 
you know, instead of playing a pick and roll or giving the ball back to Guderis, he just chooses to drive left against Clyburn. I don't know what he's, you know, expecting from this. <laughs> but uh yeah, you probably can flow into a, a a a better a better shot than this, but on the other hand, he he has the hot hand three made three pointers. Mm. Three point game as well. Wow. Yeah. Another high scoring game, uh, which is win for FS. Amazing game by some of the core players like Mitsich, 27 points, Elijah Bryant. You said he, he was having a great series and then he, he went out and scored even more. He scores 25 points on 10 from 13 from the field, nine rebounds, five assists. Wow. Two steals. Wow. That's huge. That's huge. Um, uh, how would you evaluate Fenerbahce's season? Uh, Losing the semifinals. Um, of course, they obviously. were unlucky with the matchup in the semifinals. It's not like another day in the office when you face FS in the semifinals because FS were failing in the regular season. You could also say, were they unlucky with the matchup in the EuroLeague quarterfinals? Uh, I think but that they, was a consequence of they, the they played themselves, second part of the regular season. They played exactly. themselves into that. Yeah, so you that cannot blame luck in this case. I mean, I have very mixed feelings. It's, you know, from one mm, point of view, it's the beginning of the new project with Vitudis, <coughs> sorry, with a lot of new guys on the team. At the same time, there were examples previously of some projects building from scratch. <laughs> for instance, for instance, you know, Monaco team built from scratch. FS, when they made the Final Four, after finishing the last previous season, uh, they also built a team from scratch. So it's possible to create a team uh, team from scratch and to still to achieve some good results. Uh, at the same point, there were situations like injuries, a lot of injuries. Nemanja Belica, who was supposed to be one of the key players of that team, he barely played this year. Uh, unfortunately. Unfortunately, I really want to see him play in the EuroLeague. Uh, and now probably his future in the Fener or even on the top EuroLeague level maybe it'd be in jeopardy because of, of the injury he had and he's like 35 or something. So it's not easy uh, to come back to the highest level after basically missing the whole year. Uh, so I don't know. I At the same time, you see guys like Nigel Hayes-Davis stepping up big time. You see guys like uh, Nick Kalatas had a great first part of the season. Uh, Jonathan Motley made a really promising EuroLeague debut. Uh, Deshaun Pierre, amazing season. So a lot of players developed, a lot of players stepped up. And it's also, you know, the consequence of the process that you're trying to build. We had this discussion about the achievements and the results in the last part. So who, who you evaluate more, who you prioritize, uh, prioritize more, the final result or the process. But... You see some glimpses both in the process and you see some glimpses both in the standings, results, and box score. So, I don't know. It's it's a weird feeling that I have about Fenerbahce. Okay, I, I, I think it's fair. Even though I would say... I, I, I'm neither happy and neither <laughs> disappointed. Okay. Let's say somewhere in the middle. Mm. I mean, I would be more willing to go to that I'm happy about the season part. Like, I'm not super happy because of the way it finished. You know, you lose in the Turkish League semifinals against, you know, Anadolu, F Anadolu FS. 
Uh, you lose to Olympiacos after a great fight, but you were still eighth in the Euroleague. But in my eyes, to a team that had a new coach coming in, that had some Euroleague rookies coming in, Motley, uh, Edwards, you know, they signed Dorsey for, what, last two months of the season. Um, so a lot of new guys coming in uh, as well, you know, to the team with the new coach, I think it was an okay season, you know, to start the process. You can see that there is a structure in the team that have, you know, you yeah. have guys that you will, you are going to build around. You, you right now just need to maybe adjust the roster a little bit. You don't need to, you know, you don't need to call this a failure and say we are yeah. selling all those players. No, I think they, they are a couple of moves away from being a real, real contender mm -hmm. like Olympiacos, Real Madrid, Barcelona, Monaco this year, where basically these those four teams were from the start of the season, they were, you know, more or less those four teams that... My favorite Milan. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm saying, you know, when you started playing already, you mm. know, after one month, those four teams were always ah, more or less... Consistently on the top. Yeah, between the first five. And Fener, after the impressive start of the season, they were kind of went down and the season after that was, you know, up and uh, uphill, you know, up and down, up and down all the time. So uh, just change, uh, you know, adjust the roster in a few spots. And uh, I think Fener can contend for the EuroLeague title next year because you know that they're going to be prepared extremely well for every game with Itudis. Speaking of changes, uh, let's start from the biggest names uh, where the changes might kick in. Uh, I, in Fener? Yeah, sorry, I, I cannot remember the first initial uh, source of that information, but the, there was a tweet that said that there was a report that said that um, Tyler Dorsey might leave the team. And from what I heard, I think it's a possibility. And that's where I have this question, you know, what kind of guard, what kind of replacement you're looking for Tyler Dorsey? Because there are two ways. You either go for a more of a point guard type of player or you, you go for a scorer. Because on the market, you can find players like, okay, Darius Thompson, he's under under the contract, but let's say there's uh, a chance to pay a buyout and to get him for your team. There's also Kevin Pangos, interesting choice. And let's not forget, when Pangos signed the contract with CSKA just before the war, basically at the same day the, the war has started, Etudis was the head coach of that team. So he wanted that player and he saw the way he could execute him uh, on that team. So it would make sense if there's this window open of bringing him to Fenerbahce, I would see this, you know, uh, this situation. Mm. Uh, from the, you know, on a different side, there's also players like Kevin Punter uh, available. Uh, probably I'll have to spend more uh, on, on that kind of player on probably the hottest free agent this summer. But these are very two different type of players you can try to choose from. Mm. I don't, you know, knowing that Wilbekin is there, and if you have Pangos as well, you have two really, you know, uh, undersized guards in your lineup. Let's say if they play together, you have two players already, two 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 targets on the defense for the other team. Even though 
I'm not saying they're bad defenders, but they are just, you know, small. Mm. And uh, so I would probably prefer taller uh, scoring guards. I don't know, Corey Higgins. Okay. He's, if he's going out. If he's healthy. You know, if he's healthy, uh, a guy who can score and who can, who can defend because I think they really need a great, great player here. And... Uh, because if you're playing with Nick, you obviously need someone who can score. And but if you're playing with Scotty, you need a taller guy who can, you know, defend the two position. So I think it's a, uh, you know, Fenerbahce will have to spend some money on this. It it would make sense, you know, if it do this, if like as you mentioned, you know, if it this wanted him in the in Moscow and. Uh, he actually signed him it would make sense for him to you know maybe try to do that the same thing again but i'm not sure pangos would be probably the best fit right now of all the available options for fenner what's your opinion on this i don't know also have kind of you know mixed feelings and i really trust the coaching staff as i mentioned after the year one they noticed and they felt what they need more and there there was always this feeling actually that maybe the preferred a point guard type of player or a combo guard who is more of a point guard than a shooting guard, than a scorer. So that's why maybe it didn't become, it didn't turn out to be the best fit as Tyler Dorsey joined the team during the season. At that point of the season, it it was, you know, rational decision to try to upgrade your team with the probably the best player available uh, on the market. But looking for the future, it felt like that they were also feeling that there's more of a need of a point guard. Uh, at the same time, you have Nikolaitis uh, in the playoffs, uh, even in the semifinals against uh, uh, Fenerbah- against FS when I said that he missed uh, two open uh, three-pointers. And he was always used as a you know uh, mismatch in the offense uh, situations. So you don't want to leave yourself in that situation again, right? And you might think about the improvement in that area where you could bring some other point guard on the court for these kind of moments of the season. And you have Marco Gudrich as a ball handler who who had a really great season mm-hmm. uh, this year. So it's a tough question, but if you have a chance to sign Kevin Punter, I mean, that's that's very hard to you know turn down. So I don't know. So it, it actually depends on do you think Scotty, you know, if you sign a a, a a guard scorer, so you, do you play Scotty as one? Mm-hmm. So uh, I thought one thought came to my mind right now. Darius Thompson would make a lot of sense, like a tall guard who can play point guard, mm-hmm. but but who can score as well. Yeah, and and you know on the defense, then Scotty could guard the point guard, and Darius could guard yeah. the shooting guard. Yeah. So you know the profile is similar to, to Darius Thompson, what we are looking here, because is Carson Edwards staying? What do you think? It didn't work out. Uh, I think it was kind of pre-programmed. Uh, I don't know if it didn't work out. I mean, what what did you expect? I 20 didn't, points per game? 15 mm, points per game? I just didn't see trust it, toward Carson Edwards. And I, it, I mean, exactly. I just think that Carson Edwards needed a different environment for him, for his rookie season, especially. For someone, a coach who would be okay with his mistakes but he went to Fenerbahce who has who have the highest goals mm-hmm. and Itouris you know always wants perfection yeah yeah and, and he's Carson still far Edwards, from perfection he's that wild type of player that 
requires different environment for him to shine, or at least to allow allow him to make mistakes. So yeah, he had some great stretches, and I think that he will take a, a lot of good things from this whole experience. I mean, being covered by Tudis, it's a huge thing, and I think it will benefit a lot for him, uh, and he will be moving forward maybe to some different team. So mm. so yeah, but uh, the main uh, adjustments they will also do is the front fla- front line as well. I think that they're gonna try to replace Nemanja Bielica. Or again, if they will be sure that Nemanja Belica will be ready to start the season, that's great. You know, that's a great upgrade because they didn't have real Nemanja Belica this season, and of course, they might be looking for a backup or for a you know, twenty-minute center to to add something next to Jonathan Motley. So these are the biggest adjustments they they might make. They need someone to give uh, some rest time to Nigel Hayes. The guy was the guy was playing fifty five minutes <laughs> per game for the last couple of months. Yeah. Anyway, uh, just the it. last question I had for you on this podcast. We mentioned some of these guys. I know that we didn't prepare for this, but how, if you were the GM, what would be your top five or top three free agent uh, free agents ranking in Europe? Let's say we have. I mean, Mirotic is not a free agent, but he's on the market. There's let's say Costas Lucas. Kevin Pangos, uh, Darius Thompson, Shabazz Napier, uh, Milutinov, Matthias Lazor. Uh, that's a lot of names. What? Viz, no, Vezenkov is not available. Uh, yeah, from the forward position, maybe that's it. Uh, yes, Dorsey. Lucas. Let's say Dorsey has the uh, free agency. Shawan Shields, point guards. Lucas, Pangos, Thompson. Yeah, pretty much it. A lot of interesting names. So what would how I need to pick three only? How, how your if there there was this draft? Mirotic, Lucas, Dorsey, Milutinov, Pangos, Shields, Thompson, Punter, Punter. Uh, I would go with Punter. Mm-hmm. Number one pick, right? Oh, you mean to rank as yes, well? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, 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 my three would be. Okay, there's Miritich, Slukas, Punter, and Napier. One gotta go. We, one we ha- we have to cut one, right? Shields, you're ruling him out. Is he a free, free agent? Uh, yeah. That's tough. That's a tough conversation. That's tough. I can't really decide right now. You know, like who's pro- your number one pick? I probably changed my mind uh, after this. Yeah, for sure. We're I mean, it, on the spot. it depends of what I, what I need for my team, mm. but so. Mm, Let's say you're upon my cost. You're building the team from scratch. Um, but, but I can't. But, but I can't take Costas Lucas. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. So that's that's what that's what I mean. You know, it's mm. uh, if I'm Panathinaikos, yeah. my number one target. Smart player who knows how to utilize the freedom he gets from his head coach, who can also set the example with his leadership to others by his example, not being very vocal, but leading by example. It's, it would be a perfect I, I think punter. Yeah, punter. Amazing score, perimeter player. Yeah. What's interesting? Punter, be- Shields, and then Napier. Okay. For Pau. Panathinaikos, yeah. Costas Lucas is a guy I would want to have on my team. Mm-hmm. Guy He's was definitely in guy, my top guy, three or top five. Guy was on 10 Final Fours in 12 seasons. 
he's like a final four lock final four ticket yeah. for your team and uh there is some there are other names here great but punter um napier shields or slukas i i don't i'm know low with bigs yeah, I but don't see Nikola Mirotic is... Like, Mirotic, yeah. It's crazy to rank him at the fifth position. I don't know. It's It, it really depends on... I can't give mm. you three. But, I mean, with so many stars potentially moving, it's it's going to be very interesting for agency. It's going to be a... Comp I hope it's going to be a lot... Uh, a really different picture in the EuroLeague next season because I think we kind of need some fresh air. And some teams need big changes, so I I I hope that these players are going to change teams because even though I I don't think Costas Lucas is moving, I don't think Shavon Shields is moving. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so we'll see. We'll see. You can actually put your ranking of your uh, top three agents list uh for let's say a random team for a dubai team or whatever <laughs> with no background with no head coach in place so it would be really interesting to hear your points and since we show a lot of love to the domestic league finals and the playoffs basically it's finals ex with the exception of the turkish league semifinals and we will do you know we will talk about spain as well when, yeah. when the finals come now the abba league finals they are, are set to start on tuesday exactly Turkish League finals, Karşiaka, our co-host, Eric, is there after the his finals. amazing game winner uh, against Turk Telecom. Turk Telecom, their final series against FS kicks off on Tuesday as well. So, yeah, a lot of finals. There's still plenty to talk and we are going to watch those finals and, and, as and much talk as about possible. it in, in yeah. the upcoming weeks. So so stay tuned. Uh, don't, be, don't be sad if we didn't talk about Spain in the yeah. comment section. And we are going to do that, but we can't cover uh, every league in every podcast. So Yeah, and show us some love as well. You can do it either by pressing like button under this video, uh, subscribing our channel, or joining BN Plus community on basketnews.com slash plus. Thank you all for watching and see you very soon, probably with the Q&A podcast this week and uh, Ritas Vishnauskas on it. So, So, yeah. If the Nuggets win today. Yeah, probably, <laughs> probably. See you guys.